Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Scripture reading this morning will be Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 43. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 43. And as you're, you're turning there, let me remind you of where we are in the narrative. These verses that are before us this morning are the conclusion to a, a section of Luke's Gospel that began with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'm sure you remember the story. Jesus tells of, of two men who went into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a, a tax collector. The one man was the epitome of, of righteousness, and he prayed as such. He, he thanked God that he was not like other men. The other man was a tax collector. And that day, the, the epitome of a sinner, the, the epitome of one who had traded his heritage as one of the people of God for a pottage of a, a bowl of, of stew. And so here we have two men, a clear contrast. And Jesus says that it is the man who has no righteousness of his own, the, the man who, who asked only for mercy. It is this man who went home justified. And in saying this, Jesus' point is, is clear enough. He, he is saying that we must trust God's mercy and not our own righteousness if we would be justified. That no man will establish his own righteousness for, before God by his good works because even works done in the power of the Holy Spirit are not good enough. Only the one who renounces his own righteousness and pleads for mercy will inherit eternal life. This parable was followed by Jesus teaching about the necessity of coming to him as a child. Jesus tells his disciples not to hinder the children from coming, but to, to let them come, because to such belongs the children of God, he says. Because, I mean, so, because to such belong the kingdom of God. And then he adds quickly that it is only those who, who come as children who may enter the kingdom. So not only may children come, but only children may come. And again, Jesus' point is clear. Jesus did not want, or the disciples did not want the parents to bring their, uh, their children to Jesus because they did not regard the, the children as worthy disciples. They had, they had nothing to offer. And Jesus says it is exactly to those who have nothing to offer who get to come. It is, it is those who, who come acknowledging that they are without worth, that they are unworthy who get to enter. In fact, it is only those who, who come as sinners who may enter the kingdom of heaven. And these two stories, of course, were followed by Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler. The ruler comes to Jesus asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. And given the, the two previous stories, we are somewhat surprised to hear Jesus point this man not to the gospel, not saying repent and believe, but, but he points him to the law. And when the rich young ruler is, is unfazed by this, when he, when he claims to have kept the law even from his youth, Jesus shows him what the law actually means, what the law actually requires by giving him a, a personal application, calling on him to, to sell all that he has as, as proof of his devotion to God and to give to the poor as proof of his love for neighbor and to come follow him. When the rich young ruler walked away Sad. Jesus said to those who remained, it is impossible 
for the rich to enter the kingdom. Far from making it easier for us to to love our neighbor, the, the, the riches that God gives us actually exasperate our selfishness. They actually turn us in farther upon ourselves. So that we cannot be saved. We, we cannot keep the law. And, and the riches even make it worse. But when the crowds heard this, they asked, who then can be saved? And as we saw, that is exactly the right question. Because that is the point that Jesus was, was driving to. Of course we, we cannot be saved. Even those most blessed among us cannot keep the law in order to establish their own righteousness. Jesus does not leave us there. He he does not leave us to despair, but He quickly adds, but what is impossible for men is possible for God. And that is, in some sense, the key to this whole section. It's the the point that, that Jesus is driving to. What is impossible for men, what men cannot do for themselves, God can do for men. But how is it possible that God can save Sinners. How is it possible that God can, can receive as righteous those who are not righteous? How is it that God can, can give life to those who deserve death? How can He justify those who are deserving of condemnation? That is exactly the question that Jesus is answering in the first part of our text here this morning. And so let us read it together. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 31. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, we ask that You would open our eyes. That You would open our ears. That You would open our hearts. That we would see and understand and love Your Word. That we would see and hear and understand Your Gospel. That it would put down roots in our heart and bring forth fruit in our lives. To the praise of Your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The first thing that we see in these verses, in that first paragraph there, in verses 31 through 33, is that Jesus' death and resurrection makes possible the impossible. What was impossible for man is possible for God. Because He did not spare His own Son, but put Him forward as the sacrifice for our sins. It's it's what this whole text has been about. The the previous paragraphs, the previous passages have been driving to this point that it is impossible for man to save himself. It is is impossible for man to establish his own righteousness. We we saw this in the the Pharisee who stood in the, uh, the temple praying, thanking God that he was not like other men. We saw it in the, the rich young ruler who, who, though he thought he was a lawkeeper, walked away sad because he could not fulfill the true requirements of the law. We saw that it is impossible for man to, to establish his own righteousness with God through his good works. But what is impossible for man is possible for God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The the justification that the tax collector received, the, the blessing that was given to the children, even the promises that were made to the disciples, though they maybe thought that they had earned them, even those blessings, both here in this life and in the age to come, even those blessings were bought and paid for, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is the point that Jesus is making. It is Jesus' death and resurrection that makes possible our salvation. And he makes this point in several ways here as he, as he foretells to his disciples of his coming death. The first thing that we see is that, that Jesus' death and resurrection makes possible our salvation because it is the fulfillment of God's plan. Notice what he says. He says, everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. You see, Jesus doesn't only know what he is walking into. He knows why he is walking into it. He, he knows what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. He knows that he is going to be betrayed. He knows that he is going to be shamefully treated. He, he knows that he is even going to have to lay down his life. He, he knows what is going to happen. It is not an accident of, of history. It is not the, the failure of his agenda. It is his agenda. It is what he goes to Jerusalem to do. But why? Why does he go there? Why does he he go there to to submit to this humiliation? Why does he go there to, to lay down his life? He goes there to do these things as the fulfillment of his father's plan. As the fulfillment of all that was foretold in the Old Testament. It has been said that the Old Testament is, is the, the New Testament simply hidden. It is, it is, the, it is where the, the promises are made that become fulfilled in the New. And those promises began as far back as Genesis chapter 3. When God created all things, He declared them good. But even as we confess this morning in our, our confession of faith, our first parents did not remain faithful to their God. They did not remain in that state of blessing in which they were created. But rather, they rebelled against God. They ate of the, the, the tree that they were told not to eat. They brought God's curse and condemnation down upon not only themselves, but upon all mankind and all of creation. They brought down a curse, a curse that brought death and and misery to to all, that that subjected all of creation to futility. But no sooner had God announced that curse upon His creation 
then he announced a plan to put it right. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he spoke of the seed of a woman, the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head and that would reconcile mankind to himself. And all of the rest of Scripture is the fulfillment of that promise. It is God's faithfulness to, to keeping his word, God doing what he said he would do, God undoing, even destroying the works of the devil. And bringing back his chosen remnant to himself. Redeeming them out of this present evil age. That he might establish them as citizens in his coming kingdom. That is the the story. That is the, the drama of Scripture. And Jesus goes to Jerusalem as the climax of that story. As the fulfillment of all that God said that he would do. It's why Jesus here refers to himself as, as the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the messianic figure, the, 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 the anointed one, the promised one, who receives the kingdom of God, who, who accomplishes God's plan so that his kingdom can be established on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is saying, I am that Son of Man. I am the Son of Man who will enter into the presence of the Ancient of Days and will receive from him the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, that I will receive that kingdom, not by military victory over the Romans, but I will receive that kingdom by first dying in the place of my people. When I get to Jerusalem as the Son of Man, yes, it will be a victory march. Yes, it, it will be a triumphal entry. But understand this, I am going there to die. I am going there to to lay down my life. Notice what he says. Notice what he says he will endure as he enters into Jerusalem. Verse 32, he says, For I will be delivered over to the Gentiles. I will be betrayed by one of my own. I will be mocked. I will be shamefully treated. I will be spit upon. Then I will be flogged unjustly. And after all of this, they will kill me. This is what Jesus is submitting to as our Messiah, it is humiliation, it is suffering, it is, it is death. And as we, as we think these things, we sometimes want to think, well, well no one deserves that. No one de- deserves to be treated that way. But when we think that, that no one deserves to be treated that way, we are wrong. We actually miss the point. Why does, was G, why does Jesus go to be humiliated? Why does he go to suffer? Why does he, he go to even be killed? He goes to endure those things for us. He goes to endure those things because we deserve to be treated that way. We deserve to be humiliated. We deserve to be exposed as as frauds, as those who are not what we claim to be, those who do not even live up to our own standards. We deserve to, to suffer the consequences of our sins. We deserve to die. This is Jesus' road because he is walking as our representative. Jesus goes there to stand in our place, to to have his body broken and his blood shed for us. Because we are the ones who deserve to be humiliated. We are the ones who deserve to suffer. We are the ones who deserve to die. So Jesus goes to stand in our place, but notice... His death will not be the last word. Jesus not only knows that he will suffer and die, he also knows that on the third day he will rise. 
He knows the joy that will be accomplished. The, the author of Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he was able to endure the cross. It was because he knew his victory was sure, guaranteed by his Father, that he was able to endure all that he was asked to endure. And we recognize then that it is in Jesus, not only his death, but in his death and resurrection, that he stands as our representative. Jesus would not only take the death that we deserve, but he would accomplish for us the salvation that we need. He would be justified. He would be declared righteous. He would be declared as as having no guilt. Death would have no claim on Him. And as we are united to Him, as He is our representative, we join Him in that resurrection. Not only do we die with Him, but we are raised with Him to new life. Because He stands as our representative, not only in His death, but also in His resurrection. So that Paul can say in Romans chapter 4 that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. So here we see Jesus telling us that it is by his death, by his resurrection, by what the events that are about to unfold in Jerusalem. It is through those events that the impossible is made possible. It is through those events that God is able to save sinners. You cannot establish your own righteousness before God, but Christ has walked a life of perfect righteousness. You cannot atone for the sins that you have committed, but He has laid down His life in atonement for them. And so in Him we are forgiven. In Him we are declared righteous. In Him we are made heirs of the coming kingdom of God. How is it that the tax collector was justified? He was justified in Christ because Christ stood for him. How is it that the children can be blessed? They are blessed in Christ, not because they they offer God anything of, of, of merit, but rather because they receive all merit from their Savior who stands in their place. How is it the disciples can receive a reward beyond all imagining, both in this life and in the age to come, Not as they think because they have left all to follow Him, but rather because He left all to stand in their place. He who was equal with God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross, that He might be exalted, and that with Him His people might be saved. This is the very foundation of the gospel. This is is the heart. This is where it begins. This is how the possible becomes impossible. And we need not to to move beyond this too quickly. We need not to to try to get on to other things. We, We must remember, we must have this clear in our minds that we stand before God as His children. We stand before God as those who are justified, not because of what we have done, but because of what has been done for us. We are heirs of the kingdom in Christ because He died and rose again. It's what we sang this morning. And it is the very heartbeat of the Gospel. And we we must get this. Because we are not, it is, it is not our natural inclination to, to think this way. It is, it is not the way that we are wired. It's not the way the disciples were wired. Notice, the disciples themselves don't get it. 
The disciples themselves don't fully understand what is going on. Look again at verse 34. We're told that they understood none of these things. They didn't understand. God had not yet given them eyes to to see. It was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. In their own strength, in their own ability, they were pretty confident in themselves. They, They thought that they were something. After all, they had left all to to follow Jesus, and therefore they didn't understand all this talk about Jesus dying. There's another instance in the Gospels where where Jesus tells them that he's going to die, and and the the Gospel writer tells us that they they walk down the mountain asking themselves, what do you think he means by by dying? What what, what kind of analogy do you think that is? What what do you think that's meant to to illustrate? What do you think is really going on here? They, They simply didn't get it. They didn't understand why Jesus would have to die for them. They didn't see their need, and therefore they could not see the Savior that they needed. And I think there are many in the church today like these disciples. There are many who don't get it. There are many who do not see their need. They don't understand that they need a Savior to save them from their sins. Sure, they need a Savior. Sure, they need God to help them out with situations they can't handle on their own. The world seems to slap us in the face over and over again with our, uh, with our finitude and with our, with our weakness. We, we come to face with it all the time. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that you need someone bigger than you to help you through life. But we need more than a genie. We need more than power. We, we need more than just help getting through a rough path. We are sinners, justly deserving of God's wrath and condemnation. We are failures, unworthy to to ascend the hill of the Lord. We are unworthy to come into His presence. We, We have no right to an inheritance in His kingdom. We need our guilt to be removed. And we need a righteousness that is not our own, that we might inherit that which belongs only to him. This is the very heart of the gospel, and it's what the, the disciples simply don't get. They, they simply don't understand it. They, they don't understand their need. And because they don't understand their, their need, they don't understand what, what Jesus is talking about. And so the question becomes what do we do when we don't see it? What do we do when, we're, when we are, are failing to, to understand and, and acknowledge the, the gospel? And if you remember back to where this whole sec- section started, you can ask yourself, well, how do I know whether I'm getting it or not? How, how do I know whether or not I'm, I'm really believing this gospel? Well, get, glance all the way back to verse 9 of chapter 18. This all started with Jesus telling a parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There it is. They they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And because they believed that they were righteous, they they treated others who they did not regard as righteous, who they did not regard as as pure, who they did not regard as as good as themselves. They they treated those with contempt. Are you you confident in yourself? Are there there others who you you see as on the outside looking in, those whom you, you treat with contempt, those whom whom you think just simply don't measure up, those who simply aren't good enough. We face these types of questions regularly. Larry mentioned the the shooting that took place in 
Las Vegas, and, and we see a man like that, and we, we see a man who would, who would do those, those types of things, and, and, and we wonder, we, we wonder, how is that even humanly possible? How is it possible for, for a man to, to do such things? It, it seems beyond us. And yet, the reality is that while we may never have, have picked up a, a, a rifle to, to do such heinous acts, we have more often than we care to admit sacrificed the good of our neighbor for our, our own interests. We have, we have sacrificed the good of our neighbor sometimes simply because we were mad that, that they had something we didn't. We, we have done it simply out of, out of spite or out of, out of malice. We may not have, have taken the same steps, but, but Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount shows us that the, the heinous acts that, that manifest themselves out there, that the heinous acts that are, that are so obvious, they have seeds that reside in all of our hearts. How do you respond to someone? Do you think, I can't imagine, I can't imagine anybody being so different from me. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. Or in our day and age, uh, 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 one of the, the, the hot-button issues is with you know, the, the, the LBGQT, whatever the initials are, you know, the, 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 this community, and we think, well, well how can they be? How can they, how, can they, how can they so just ignore their own, uh, their obvious created design? How can they ignore their chromosomes and their biology? And we fail to recognize that, that they are struggling with accepting who they are as God's creatures just as we so often do. Not in the same ways. But how often do we shake our fist in God's face and say, why did you make me like this? Why am I the way I am? Why do I feel the things I do? Why don't I fit in? Why can't I express myself? Again, they struggle. They struggle differently. They, they struggle in more obvious ways. But do you say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that? Or do you say, God, help me because I'm like them? Because what, the moment that you recognize in your own weakness, the moment that you recognize your own frailty, you are able to say, Lord, show to them the mercy you showed to me. Do for them what you did for me. Open their eyes. It's what the disciples need. The disciples need to have their eyes open. They, they think of themselves as something. They think of themselves as, as having left all to follow. They, they need to have their eyes open that they might see their need for Jesus. And we need the same thing. We need to pray that God would, would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see Him. We're not going to get to it this morning, but it's not an accident that Luke follows these, these statements about the disciples with verse 34, with the, with the story of this, this blind beggar crying out to Jesus. We'll, we'll look at that more next week as, as we, we see how this man approaches Jesus and what we can learn from him. But this morning, simply see this. That in our natural selves, we are blind to the wonder of the gospel. We are blind to our need. We, we, we think that we're okay. We think that God actually owes us. And we need God to open our eyes. Because the truth of the matter is that we can approach Him. We can come before Him. We can receive His blessing. We can be justified. We can inherit the coming kingdom of God. Only 
by His mercy. Not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done for us. And when you begin to see that, when you begin to to recognize that, that you are an heir, not because of what you have done, but because of what He has done for you, it will set you free. It will set you free to leave all. Because you will will recognize that that your good is secure. Regardless of what you are called on to give up in this life, your good is unassailable. It, It cannot be touched. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the grace of God. And not only will it set you free to to leave all, but it will set you free to to pursue the good of others. Because you will see that the same grace that has been shown to you is now available to them. It is is seeing Jesus. It is is seeing who He is and, and what He has done for us that opens our eyes to live this Christian life. That opens our eyes to to truly love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't keep the law well enough to get in. But when you realize that that He has bought and paid for your ticket, that, that He has qualified you for an inheritance the coming of the kingdom with His own precious blood, it will free you to leave all and to follow Him in ways that you never experienced before. And so my my charge to you this morning is do not move past these verses too quickly, but set your mind and your eyes upon Jesus. Meditate upon who He is and, and what it is that He has done for you. Recognize that it is only in Him that you are qualified. Because when you recognize that it is in Him that you are qualified, when you begin to, to, to see the true wonder of who it is and, and, and what it is that, that He has done for you, when you begin to see these things in, in new and fresh ways, you will be set free. You'll be set free to live as becomes a child of God. And so let us pray and let us ask that God would open our eyes, that He would not keep these things from us, but that He would let us see Jesus, that He would let us see the Gospel, that He would allow it to fill up our hearts, that He would allow it to to transform our minds, and in so doing, that He would allow it to transform our lives. Jesus is our substitute. He died for us. He, He rose again for us, that we might walk in newness of life. And it is only when we recognize what He has done that we are free to live the life to which we have been called. So let us pray and let us ask that He would open our eyes because we know that He will. And because He will. Because He will and can give us eyes to see. That is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it. Father God, we do rejoice in Your goodness. We do ask for Your grace. Father God, we are left to ourselves blind to the truths of the Gospel. And so we ask that You would open our eyes, that we might know that we come not not according to our own merit, but according to Your mercy. And so Father, may we with full confidence in Your mercy boldly approach the throne of Your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.